Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Necessary Roughness Podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports, episode number 180. I'm your host, as per usual, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all enjoyed your week as we push into the latter stages of the NFL season and the last month of our year. We are here on December the 1st recording this episode. Um, it was a pretty intriguing week. We had the Thanksgiving festivities. Hope you all enjoyed your Thanksgiving or Friendsgiving or whatever you may have been celebrating or enjoyed some time off from work if you were. Um, moreover, we're going to get started right away. We've got some stuff to get to in this episode, and I say that every episode, but this one I kind of mean it more than usual. And why I say that is we had some weird... They're not off-the-field developments, but they they certainly are. We're going to talk about the Carolina Panthers firing Frank Reich. We're going to dive into what's going on there. We're going to talk about the little weird back-and-forth between Alex Smith and Tom Brady, and we'll touch on some other things. But first things first, we're going to start this episode like we start all the others with my standout seven. And first and foremost, we're here to talk football, so let's get right into the bigger story. The Dallas Cowboys bringing home a W. Thursday night football in a close one that people really didn't think was going to be that close, or the Eagles bringing home an overtime W against an underachieving, I'll use air quotes, Super Bowl contender in the Buffalo Bills. We'll get started with the more recent matchup, which was Thursday night football between the Cowboys and the Seahawks, and this was a shootout that I didn't see coming. I figured we'd see some points scored, maybe the under was not the play per se, if you're a gambling man, but my goodness. I mean, Deron Bland, who is the record holder for pick sixes in a season and wound up with another interception in this one, was clearly a point of emphasis for the Seattle Seahawks offense. And when I say point of emphasis, I don't mean they were avoiding him like Darrell Revis in his prime. I mean they were going at him early and often. I believe he wound up giving up over 150 yards easily in receiving yards in this game. Well, that's easy to do when you give up 75 on the first pass that goes your way. DK Metcalf winds up with three touchdowns in this game. Gino, 23 of 41, the completion percentage definitely suffered when the offensive line and the pass, their offensive line and the pass rush of Dallas kind of started to take over as this game went on. 334 yards, three touchdowns, though, with the interception aforementioned. Uh, Dak on the other side, no interceptions, just a hair under 300 to 299. 29 of 41 and three touchdowns. Tony Pollard chipped in 68 on the ground and a touchdown of his own. CeeDee Lamb had another great game. Ferguson with a touchdown. Brandon Cook sighting. He was all over a little bit. Um, am I impressed with Dallas's victory? I kind of am. You know, this is the bigger story, so who had the better W? And I put them in here because people have been ripping Dallas up and down all season. And there's really two schools of thought. It's, they haven't beaten anybody, what have they shown us? Which is true. And then there's also, you can only play the teams on the schedule. You can't beat the 49ers when you have to play the Giants twice. We'll get there when we get there, if we get there, right? And realistically, that's true. Um, Both things can be true, in my opinion. They've been doing a good job in their matchups against the lesser teams. And here they are, Seattle, 6-5, and five, coming in off of a rough loss, right? And we'll talk about Seattle, the patch that they're in a little bit. But coming off of, you know, a loss to the Rams, which should not have happened if you're this team, 
right? A couple weeks before that, they lose to, to Baltimore. They get blown off the field 37-3. to They lose to San Fran. You can lose to Baltimore. You can lose to San Fran. You can't lose to the Rams. That can't happen. I know the NFC is a little bit more wide open than the AFC. That can't happen. Um, so I say all that to say this. Dallas gets put in a situation where they're facing a fellow playoff contender, right or wrong, and right away, Seattle comes out throwing haymakers. I mean, they score immediately to answer the Dallas field goal, right? After the Seattle defense did their job. Then when Dallas looks like they're going to walk into halftime with the lead, Seattle marches down the field and they get a touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba, which is overturned, which I'm not really certain if it should have been overturned, if I'm being honest with you, but it was. Um, and then they immediately go to Metcalf, who was... I mean, darn near unstoppable for stretches of this game. We can talk about the penalties if you want. There were a lot of flags in this one. Some of them kind of obvious. Some of them a little ticky-tack. It's just kind of the way it is. I'll give kudos to Dallas on this one. This is probably one of their most, if not their most, impressive wins of the season. However, the answer is going to be Philly, right? Um... The Eagles are down 24-14 at home going into the fourth quarter. And this game winds up going OT. And they're down in OT. Right? Like, this was a pretty darn good game. A little, you know, a couple of turnovers in this one. But for the most part, you see why Philly is the best team in the NFC. Early in the season, I was on the San Francisco train. And look, we're going to get to discuss this in no time. Because this week, we are going to have... San Francisco at Philly at the link. Um, Philly's 10-1 and right now. They're facing Buffalo, a team that is desperate. They need to win to survive, to try and scratch and claw their way back up the playoff race. Good game from Diggs. Good game from Gabe Davis. You get your customary interception from Josh Allen. You get an interception from Jalen Hurts. All right, it cancels out. What it really comes down to in this game, and by the way, this is... A battle between two legitimate Super Bowl contenders. I know the record says that Philly is way better than Buffalo. I know, you know, they fired their offensive coordinator. But let's be honest here. Late in this game, Philly put themselves in quite the pickle and got bailed out by their kicker. Jake Elliott, I remember the guy hitting, I think it was 60-plus against the Giants a handful of years ago when he was still relatively new with the team. He's got a little bit of that clutch gene to him. We're going to skip all the way ahead. A minute 52, two timeouts for Philly, right? They are losing. 34, I believe at this point is 34 to 31, right? Philly runs a QB draw, second and 15 on the fringe of field goal range. This is after Jason Kelsey had a false start, obviously, earlier. Handful, I think it might have been a play before. They burn their timeout for a QB draw. Then on third down, they draw up another QB draw, and Kelsey false starts again. You wind up on fourth and 17, having to kick a 59-yard field goal in the rain. Tremendous. That's, you know, I'll give credit. I was ripping Sirianni last week, and I think rightfully so. As the coach of this team, they stick together. They stay in the game. They don't quit, right? It could have been, oh, man, Kelsey, you really you let us down there, man. And Elliott goes out there just to, you know, kick the field goal, but he doesn't really think he's going to make it. No. 
This team knows how good they are. They know they're a Super Bowl contender, and they want to be the one seed. They want it to have to go through the link, and they know if it does, it increases their chances of walking all the way to a Lombardi trophy, something they were so close to last year. Um, What this comes down to is Gabe Davis wide open, and him and Josh Allen were not on the same page. Gabe Davis breaks to the corner of the end zone, the left corner. Allen, with the pass rush coming, I guess thought it was hot. Straight up hot read, just go on a streak? I don't know. You're not here for, uh, you know, the Brady Quinn breakdown, or whoever your ex-QB of choice is, Dan Orlovsky. You know, we're not going to go after that, but you get where I'm going with this. He just missed him. There was a miscommunication. They kicked the field goal. Five minutes, 50 seconds left for Philly. You got to think there's immediately at least going to be a tie in this game. They drive down the field. Hurts QB draw. Come on. It's over. Um, yeah. A little rough. A little rough if you're a Buffalo fan, but that's the kind of year that it's been. I got to give the nod to Philly over Dallas. Dallas, best win of the year. It's still not better than this Philly win even from this week. Number two in the standout seven, since we just touched on Seattle, who are we more concerned about? Two NFC teams in a rough patch. The Seattle Seahawks or the Minnesota Vikings. And in order to really break this down, we're going to look at their remaining games and we'll talk about the playoff picture ever so briefly. NFC playoff picture as we stand. Lions leading the North, 8-3. They are tied for the two seed, but they are the three, right? Vikings trail them. Seahawks trailing the two seed. The San Fran 49ers, they are also 8-3. Right now, both of these teams are 6-6. They are the 6-7 seed, respectively. Green Bay is 5-6. The Rams are 5-6. The Saints are 5-6 on the outside looking in. Well, let's get started with Seattle since we already broke down their game. They are not playing, obviously, this Sunday. They played on Thursday Night Football. They are setting up for a game in Santa Clara next Sunday. That's rough. Then, no rest for the wicked, they've got the Philadelphia Eagles the following week. Then it gets a little softer. They've got Tennessee, very winnable on Christmas Eve. They've got Pittsburgh, which could be a sloppy one, on New Year's Eve. And on January 7th, they end the year in Arizona. Okay, Seahawk fan, let me know what you think. Comment section, if where you're listening has one. Social media, all social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Do you think this Seattle team breaks 500? Because right now they are 6-6 six and six with 5 to play. Would it shock you if they lost to Philly and lost to San Francisco? They just got mollywopped of sorts by San Francisco in Seattle. 31-13 on Thanksgiving. We are now um, 17 days removed by the time they play this game. Do you think there will be significant changes? The Philly team that beat the Bills is going to beat the Seattle team, I can say with a good amount of confidence. The only reason I put the San Fran one in question is because it's a division game. You never know, right? I would still lean towards San Francisco. So there you're looking at 6-8 and eight 
in a crowded NFC wildcard bunch, you potentially have to win out. I think they can beat the Titans. I know they can beat the Cardinals. It's going to come down to the last day of the year, and I mean the calendar year, not the season, December the 31st, at home, Super Bowl rematch from a long time ago against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Pittsburgh's defense is pretty good. And Geno Smith will throw the ball to the other team now and again. That's what it's going to come down to. Vikings, 6-6, six and six, who do they have left? Well, it's not much easier. They've got the Vegas Raiders next week, not playing this week, in Vegas. Then they go to Cincinnati. Okay, theoretically two winnable games. Cincinnati, with no Joe Burrow, I mean, it's doable. Their final three games are Detroit, Green Bay, both at home, and then in Detroit to end the year. Theoretically, you'd think that Detroit might have the division wrapped up by then. Will they play their starters to keep a division rival out? I don't know. Huge game December the 31st as well against Green Bay. Oh, by the way, the team that right now is a half game behind them. We're not going to go through all the teams. We're not going to talk about the Rams and the Saints. And look, even the Bucks and technically the Giants and the Bears and all the doldrums here are still in it. But Packers facing Kansas City this week, going to be rough. Rams facing Cleveland. Saints facing the Lions. Might give you a little bit of a bubble, if we're being honest. But if Green Bay pulls off an upset, they're tied right now, which is a big if, I understand. They would be tied, and we could be going into that big, big game in week number 17, either tied or jostling for position, depending on how Seattle goes in the next few weeks. Who am I more concerned about? I think you'd have to say Minnesota. Justin Jefferson has to get back on the field. He has to contribute, right? I don't know his status moving forward. It's easier said than done, if we're being honest. Um on top of the fact that it's a quarterback who's still learning the system in Josh Dobbs. As much as we all love Josh Dobbs and the Pastronaut and all those shenanigans, right? At the end of the day, we have to be realistic. He's learning the system as the season goes on, right? How much can he realistically accomplish? We'll find out as the year goes. I think he's pretty talented. And with Jefferson out there to go with Hawkinson and Madison and the running game that they're trying to cobble together, it could be doable. I mean, you take a look, put up 10 points against the Bears. Dobbs throws four picks. One was tipped at least. One was a fourth down kind of heave. Not a great game from their offense at all. You lose by one point to Denver. By the way, Denver's rolling right now, so you can't really discredit that that much. But the Bears won. That's the one that may come back and bite you. You got two weeks going in to face the Raiders. You should beat the Raiders, and we should theoretically see Justin Jefferson out there. However... I'd say I'm still more concerned for them because they've got to play the Lions twice and they've got Green Bay who could have a say in all this. Seattle's got to face the Niners and the Eagles. It is what it is. They've got the Titans and the Cardinals, very winnable, and they've got a toss-up with Pittsburgh. Number three in the standout seven. Let's keep it on the contender front, but let's get back to the positive side. Let's talk about victories from two playoff contenders, or no, excuse me, a victory from a playoff contender, and am I more impressed by their win or a loss by a surprise contender? I say all that to say, bigger story, 
The win by the Atlanta Falcons at home with Desmond Ritter at the helm, or the loss by the Houston Texans. Now, I could have said the win by the Jaguars, but we all know it would be the win as they push away the young upstart Texans. I want to make the case here, and we'll talk Falcons first. I'm quite quite honestly more impressed by the Texans' loss. Um, The Saints are a peculiar team, and I said this before I picked this game as I go back through my notes here. I'm not, not sure who we picked in this one. We did pick the Saints, and I'm pretty sure I said, and they'll probably lose. But then again, I say that every week. Not exactly the most confidence-inspiring team. 24-38-304, no touchdowns and a pick for Derek Carr. Good game from Chris Olave. Obviously, no Michael Thomas. Uh, nothing big for my boy Rashid Shahid in this one. The Saints' offense just... On paper... You went into the year with Michael Thomas, maybe have a bounce back. Probably not, but it is what it is. Chris Olave, good young receiver. You saw Rashid Shaheed burst out pretty early. I think Juwan Johnson's a pretty good tight end. Derek Carr, got to have a bounce back, right? Off of that year, everybody was trashing you. Alvin Kamara, okay, coming off the suspension. He's going to have something to prove. This team's just not that good. Um, And I'm saying that when they're playing against the Falcons, who are also not that good. I mean, Desmond Ritter goes 13 to 21, a buck 68, a touchdown and two interceptions. Bijan Robinson doing Bijan Robinson things, 19 touches for a buck 23, two touchdowns, one on the ground, one through the air. He's a beast, right? Tyler Algier looked good on the ground, 6.4 yards per carry. They were running all over the Saints defense. Um, Kyle Pitts was on the field. He had 22 receiving yards. It, it's going to be weird. It, <laughs> If the Falcons win this division, I feel like I'm going to find myself sitting here when they inevitably get eliminated in the postseason, whenever that might be, unless they make a miracle run here. And I'm going to be saying, well, how long has Arthur Smith been the coach? Hmm. He was an offensive coordinator before they hired him? Hmm. This offense isn't good. I don't think I'm breaking any news here. I've seen plenty of Falcon fans online with that discourse, with that opinion. They're just not. The offense should be pretty good. Is it? It's. It can't all be on Ritter. It just can't. Like, I, kudos to the Falcons for the win. And right now, the Atlanta Falcons are the four seed in the NFC. Tiebreaker over New Orleans, one game ahead of Tampa Bay, and Carolina. Obviously, we'll talk about in a sec. Here's the thing about Houston, and I don't really think you guys would argue with me too much on this one, but I want to pat. C.J. Stroud and D'Amico Ryan's on the back. They're facing the team that was assumed to be the division winner, right? They're coming in at 7-3. and three. You're coming in at 6-4. and four. You're a team that wasn't even expected to get to six wins. And somehow, as we make our way through this game, it gets very, very sweaty. Damian Pierce back in this one didn't really contribute much on the ground. The running game for Houston was not great. For players not named C.J. Stroud, they had 12 carries for 44 yards. 12 of that on a run by Tank Dell, the receiver. Not great. Interesting one to me. 13-7 Jacksonville, right? Right before halftime. They have the ball at the one-yard line with, I believe, one second. Jacksonville, Doug Peterson, 
rolls the dice, goes for it. ETN is stopped, and it thir- stays 13-7. You know you're facing a Houston team with a pretty darn good defense, right? Why not just kick the field goal there? And this comes into play like it always does. And we, we'd even glossed over this talking about the Seattle game. Jason Myers misses a field goal in the first half of that game. They lose 41-35. They were pushing midfield on that last drive. If they were down 41-38, it might have been completely different. Not to mention, obviously, to be that guy. Um, maybe Dallas would have went for it. They might not even have kicked that field goal to go up 41. They just kept the ball till the end of the game. Either way, um, these things matter. Um, they score 13 in the first half. They only score 11 in the second half. Hmm. 24-14 with nine minutes left, and Houston fights their way back into this one. 24-21 with 5.15 left. Three minutes left, Stroud gets the ball back with one timeout down three. And Texan fans, you know what I'm about to say. They get close to field goal range, and Matt Amendola misses his second kick of the day hitting the crossbar from 58. The broadcast said his long was 56 in high school. He hit the crossbar from 58. That long in high school was pretty darn accurate, I would say. Um, This was a very impressive loss. Right now in the playoff picture, Houston is on the outside looking in. They are in a three-way tie, however, tied with Denver, who's behind them, and Indy, who's ahead of them. Um... Of those three teams, who am I most confident in? It's Houston, easily. Easily, cheesily. And it's not just C.J. Stroud being a tremendous rookie QB, which he truly is. It's also the fact that D'Amico Ryans is stepping in and his defense is stepping up quickly. Very quickly. Would it be different if Anthony Richardson was still around for the Colts? 100%. I liked what I saw out of him in very, very short amount of time. Um... Would they be even better than 6-5? and five? I don't know. Hard to tell. But just wanted to give the nod both to the Falcons for a good win and really to the Texans for putting up a heck of a fight against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Number four in the standouts, seven, usually the primetime section, but we just talked about Monday Night Football a little bit, the Viking game. We talked Sunday night. Well, actually, we didn't, but the Ravens 20-10 to 10 over the Chargers or whatever. We got to go into that Chargers losing game they should lose. So it's whatever. Uh, And we talked about Monday Night Football. The reason... Thursday Night Football, excuse me. The reason I'm leaving open so many spots in the standout seven this week, if I'm being frank with you, is it was a very odd week for the talking heads. However, let's get started with the Carolina Panthers. Owner of the Carolina Panthers put out a statement, I believe, uh, talking about how they're firing head coach Frank Reich. This is their third coach in four years that has been laid off, I believe. Um, You take a look at some of the statistics here. For the Carolina Panthers, it's not hard to tell why. How about number one, they're one in ten. They beat the Texans somehow, by the way. Um, Some of these losses are close. You lose to the Bears by a field goal. You lose to the Titans by a touchdown. You lose to the Vikings by eight. Lose to New Orleans by a field goal. I mean, if they're 3-7, and seven, does Frank Reich still have a job? Perhaps. I mean, this is literally his first year, right? Like, It's kind of weird me that they would fire him in his first year. I, I don't think that's usually a good move. Um, what comes out after this is why we're talking about it. But first, Bryce Young threw 10 games, 61.7% completion percentage, under 2,000 yards, 9 touchdowns, 8 picks. 
Um, 160 yards on the ground. Six starts for Chuba Hubbard, pitching in in 11 games. Miles Sanders with the other five. 453, two touchdowns for Chuba. Decent, right, for a split backfield. Uh, Sanders, 300 yards and a touchdown. People said going in, Sanders is going to put up worse numbers in Carolina, and that was kind of apparent. Running away from, not running away from, but going away from the Eagles offensive line, the Eagles scheme, a mobile QB that is a dual threat. I don't think Young is necessarily that, especially right now, considering the numbers we just read. Um, as far as receivers go, Adam Thielen, 728 receiving yards, 77 catches in 11 games. The next leading receiver has 28 catches, and that is a bizarro stat. That is a, we are doing a Madden rebuild, and I had one receiver I wanted, and he's the only one that gets open, so I throw him the ball every time. He has 100 targets. The next highest is 57 from Jonathan Mingo, who has those 28 catches. Oh my goodness. I mean, he's going to be a 1,000-yard receiver in all likelihood. Good for Thielen. I remember him saying he was going to Carolina to try and win a Super Bowl, which I'm sure is just talk for the fans, but my goodness. Anyway, the reason we're talking about the Carolina Panthers is this. Frank Reich, first coach ever to be fired as a head coach in back-to-back seasons. Okay. Also came out that Josh McCown, former NFL QB, was fired as the quarterback's coach, and Deuce Staley, former NFL running back, was fired as the running back's coach. Then it came out around the same time that supposedly Frank Reich and Josh McCown were in lockstep that they said C.J. Stroud is better than Bryce Young. And they wanted C.J. Stroud. Well... I hate to break it to you, gentlemen, but here's the weird thing. If you take a look back, I don't know if you guys watched the NFL draft, they were picking number one. So if you wanted C.J. Stroud, you could have taken C.J. Stroud. Um, alrighty, that's, that's something, um... Now, obviously, the implication being that the front office and or ownership overruled them, wanted the QB from Alabama over C.J. Stroud. All right, fair enough. Here's where I'm going to go on placing blame. And when I poured over some of these statistics, I was genuinely kind of surprised at what came up here. So we're looking back at Frank Reich, right? He's the man to blame. It's his fault. Frank Reich was the head coach in Indy for five seasons. He was hired after being the OC in Philly for two seasons. Now, mind you, that you know 2017 Philly season is the year they win the Super Bowl, of course, right? The year before that, they are 7-9. and nine. However, you know, Carson Wentz, 16 touchdowns, 14 picks. That's okay. The second year, with Frank Reich as his OC... 33 touchdowns, 7 picks, he was an MVP candidate, and Nick Foles obviously was comfortable enough to call to catch a pass in the Super Bowl, and he led them to a Super Bowl victory, of course. Now, this isn't the 27 touchdown to 2-pick Nick Foles that we all know and remember very oddly. However, my point is, let's look at the QB statistics, his time in Indy. 2018, head coach. Andrew Luck in the Frank Reich-led offense. Now, this is 2018. Let's take a look at Andrew Luck's 
2017. Oh, that's right, he missed the year with a shoulder injury. He came back from an injury to play in his final season, 39 touchdowns to 15 picks. Great year. I mean, it's Andrew Luck. You remember, he was a pretty darn cute, pretty darn good QB. All right, well, you got to move on from Luck. What are you going to do the next year? Oh, by the way, did I mention the record? They went 10-6, and six, and they lost to Kansas City in the playoffs. The next year, they go 7-9. and nine. All right. They start Jacoby Brissett in 15 games. 18 touchdowns to 6 interceptions. It's pretty good. It's pretty good for Jacoby Brissett. I'm not going to lie to you. The following year, still Frank Reich. They go 11-5. and five. They lose in the playoffs to Buffalo by a field goal. Mind you, their offensive coordinator this 2020 season is Nick Sirianni. Phillip Rivers comes over, 24 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and they barely lose in the playoffs. Okay. 2021. They go 9-8. and eight. They miss the postseason. Carson Wentz, 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, coming over presumably to be comfortable in the system. And then 2022 was a disaster. Matt Ryan, 14-13, to 13, obviously he winds up getting fired. Um, here's my thing. I think Frank Reich gets a little bit of a raw deal here. And if it's true he didn't want Bryce Young, he gets a tremendously raw deal. The reason I say that is, it's kind of ridiculous when you look at his track record and you see what he's able to accomplish offensively, at the least, when he has a good QB and or someone who has learned the system fully. I'm not trying to throw Bryce Young under the bus here. However, if he thought C.J. Stroud would fit his system better, what are we doing? That being said, if he was given the second season, that's why I kind of mentioned that he was with Philly that first season in 16, Carson Wentz did okay, and then in 17, boom, to the next level, right? You need talent plus a system to make things happen. You can't just have raw talent and no idea out there running around chicken without a head. And you can't just have the best offensive playbook ever and expect to win all the games. Now, the scheme plays a big role. The talent also plays a big role. You take a look, and this is a poor comp, but I'll make it anyway. You take a look at the New York football Giants. I mean, Tommy DeVito has more touchdowns in like three games than every other QB they've had. Is Tommy DeVito the answer for the Giants at QB long term? I don't know. If I had to bet on it, I would bet no. But good coaching and I think Brian Dayball is a pretty good offensive coach, generally, can bring out or accentuate the talent that's there. Frank Wright getting fired 11 games in is preposterous. I can understand them laying him off in Indy, right? I get it. This is his fifth season, two years in, two years out, haven't made it to a championship game or anything important. I get it. Okay, you want to lay him off, lay him off. They wanted to bring in Jeff Saturday. All right, fine, whatever. But Carolina, I mean, you take a look at what they've been in the post-Ron Rivera era, and the answer is bad. You take a look at what they were in the Ron Rivera era. And look, I'm a guy that is a, I wouldn't say a Ron Rivera hater. I got no beef with Ron Rivera. But I've been open about my take on Ron Rivera in Washington and how it's not working out. Ron's time in Carolina, the first two years they were bad, then boom, 12-4. and four. Lost in the divisional round. The next year, 7-8-1, but they make the playoffs. 15-1, they lose the Super Bowl. Then, 6-10. Then, 11-5, losing the wild card round. Missed the playoffs, missed the playoffs, and fired. Okay, 
They went Perry Fuel to finish that year. Nothing came of it. They went Matt Rule. Didn't take him anywhere. 5-11, 5-12. Fired in the third year. Steve Wilkes. Fired inside a year. Or sorry, no. Steve Wilkes taking over to finish Matt Rule. Moved on. It is what it is. Um, and now you have Reich fired within a year. And you're going to have head coach Chris Tabor. Who... Okay, sure. Why not? Um, I mean, you look at his coaching history. He was a special teams coordinator with the Bears for a while, the Browns for longer, the Bears before that. I mean, okay, sure. Uh, why not? Let's see what happens. But since since David Tepper has purchased the Panthers, they have not been good. They have not been a good team. Um, I'm not blaming ownership entirely. However, if it is true that they were forced into this quarterback play, maybe you need to take a step back, Dave. Maybe you got to listen to the football guys. You know, I imagine I, I will never be in a situation, as will 99.9% of the world, and that would include the bulk of you listening, to purchase something for the price that David Tepper purchased the Carolina Panthers for. Moreover, I will not own a sports franchise. Right? We're fans. At its core, I'm a fan as well. Right? Fan of the game. That's how you wind up in the profession I've wound up in. That's how you wind up hosting the show that I've hopefully entertained you with for all these years. And if not, thanks for tuning in anyway. But I say that to say this. I get wanting to be the George Steinbrenner. The, you know what? It's my money. We need to do this. I think this is the right play. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes you wind up feeling like you blew some money. Maybe take a step back, take a chill pill, and see, who knows, maybe Tabor will seize the job. Or maybe you got to dump the dump truck at Jim Harbaugh's house and just take a step back, sit in the press box. Number five in the standout seven, we're going to talk about Thomas Brady versus Alex Smith. Interesting ones. Interesting, interesting, interesting. A couple of quotes here for you, if you didn't hear about this. If you didn't hear about this, I can't blame you. Uh, Tom Brady doing an appearance on the Stephen A. Smith show. This was actually a couple weeks ago, I think. Uh, But we got a response from Alex Smith that made it spicy. So we'll get there. I think there's a lot of mediocrity in today's NFL. I don't see the excellence that I saw in the past. Interesting. Alex Smith, who was on NFL Countdown, had this, a series of quotes to retort. First off, let me preface this. I love Tom, and he's the GOAT. He hasn't been retired that long. He was just playing. He won a Super Bowl in this current game. Is he discounting that one? Interesting. Interesting. He played in the most uncompetitive division, I think, in NFL history. You come out of training camp in the cupcake division. You get a ticket to the playoffs right away. Talk about mediocre. Hmm. Alex Smith continued. There's more parity across the league. Quarterback plays at an all-time high in the league. You've got the best athletes playing the position. We didn't have this 30 to 40 years ago. He's referencing offensive numbers are down. To me, I think we're in a golden age of defensive linemen. Hmm. Barry Sanders also said via Robert Griffin III's podcast, I still see a great product. I still see great teams. So, a couple of stances here. Little food for thought, we're going to look through the NFL standings. Right 
at this point. Let's see. We're going to look end of year in a couple of seasons, and we're going to do this on the fly. I don't really know what result we're going to get. You've got the playoff teams from the 2001 season. Why did I pick this season? That is the Tom Brady first Super Bowl season, right? First Super Bowl championship, I should say. Takes over for Drew Bledsoe, all that yada, yada, yada. So, in the American Football Conference, you have Pittsburgh at 13-3. and three. You have New England winning the division at 11-5. and five. Then you have 10-6 and six Oakland, Miami 11-5, and five, Jets 10-6, and six, Baltimore 10-6. and six. Right? Teams missing the postseason. You have the 9-7 and seven Seahawks, the 8-8 eight and eight Broncos, and then a bunch of under 500. In the NFC, you have the Rams, 14-2, the Bears, 13-3, the Eagles, 11-5. Then in the wild card spots, you have San Fran and Green Bay, both at 12-4, Tampa Bay at 9-7. Missing the postseason, we have Washington, 8-8, eight eight, everybody else under 500. 2007 New England Patriots. Why am I picking 2007? Well, that's a year where the Patriots went 16-0. Patriots, 16-0. They are the one seed. Indy, 13-3. Chargers, 11-5. Pittsburgh, 10-6. Wild Cards, Jacksonville, 11-5. Tennessee, 10-6. The Browns, 10-6. Everyone else, 500 or under. Actually, Texans, 8-8. I'll give them that. Everybody else under 500. NFC that year. Dallas Cowboys at 13-3. Boy, I wonder if they made the Super Bowl. Anyway. Green Bay Packers at 13 and 3, the Seahawks 10 and 6, Bucks 9 and 7, Giants 10 and 6, Redskins 9 and 7. Three 8 and 8 teams missed the playoffs in the NFC in the Vikings, Eagles and Cardinals and four 7 and 9 teams after that in the NFC. Now, I recognize what Tom saying. Oh, by the way, I say all that to say this, which seems to be the catchphrase of this episode. Right now, AFC, 9-3, Wild cards, 7-4, 7-4, On the outside looking in, 6-5, 6-5, NFC, 10-1, and 8-3, 8-3, 5-6, Falcons. Wild cards, 9-3, 6-6, On the outside looking in, a couple of teams, one game under. The records don't dictate the level of play you're seeing. However, the records speak to the parody that I think Alex Smith was talking about. I also tend to agree that the AFC East, for the bulk of Tom Brady's career, kind of was cupcake-ish. They almost punted on seasons at the beginning of the season. Although, I would say that this was also true for certain seasons in the AFC South. Right or wrong? If you're a Colts fan, did you ever think you were going to miss the playoffs with Peyton Manning? There were years Jacksonville was pretty good. There were no years during that time period that Houston was good. Were there years here and there where Tennessee was good? Yeah. But you did not worry, as even as a, a viewer of the NFL, that Tom Brady or Peyton Manning were going to miss the postseason. As we sit right now, due to the level of parity, I would say, you have Josh Allen, one of the most exciting players in the NFL. I'm not trying to be that guy, but it's true. 
one of the most recognizable as the Madden cover boy. He's on the outside looking in of the postseason. C.J. Stroud, the most exciting rookie QB out there. He's currently on the outside looking in. Russell Wilson, champion, currently on the outside looking in. Cincinnati, even before the Burrow injury, on the outside looking in. Justin Herbert, who most people agree is a pretty good young QB in the B tier who needs to take that next step eventually, currently on the outside looking in. You get to the NFC side, it's a little bit more hazy. Matthew Stafford, you want to call him champion, potential Hall of Famer, if we're having that debate from forever ago, on the outside looking in, right? I tend to think, I get where Tom is coming from, that some of the quality of play is diminished when you see Tommy DeVito throwing for a buck 40, or when you see Zach Wilson trying to run an offense and struggling. But injuries play a role, right? That should have been Aaron Rodgers out there for the Jets. Um, and it's interesting to say that we are in a golden age of defensive linemen. I feel like that's something that no one, even as a concept, has kicked around as an idea. It's not always a golden age of offense. The golden age of the quarterback could be 10 years from now. I don't know. The Brady Manning days will always be special to me because that's when I was growing up learning the game watching football. However, there's people that would say the same thing about watching Dan Marino in Montana and watching Elway and Favre and everybody has that special era to them. Also, since we're presumably QB-focused, right? I'm taking a look at the 2007 passing leaders. This is, once again, the perfect Tom Brady season. Let's look at pa- You want to look at passing yards or touchdowns, folks? We can start with touchdowns. The top QBs in this little ranking. Tom Brady, of course. Hall of Famer, one of the greatest, if not the greatest of all time. I'd say the greatest. Tony Romo, 36 touchdowns, 19 interceptions. Big Ben Roethlisberger, likely Hall of Famer. Peyton Manning, Hall of Famer. Derek Anderson, fifth in the league in passing touchdowns. Drew Brees, Brett Favre, Matt Hasselbeck, pretty good QB. Aging Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer, 26 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. Super Bowl champion this very season, Eli Manning, 23 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. Right? Why am I bringing this up? Well, we're talking about mediocrity. Why not? Why not bring it up, right? Sixth in the league in passing yards this year, John Kitna, 4,068 yards. Man, Derek Anderson had a heck of a year. He was a top 10 passer in touchdowns and passing yards. Clearly the Browns were good that year, right? They had to be. 10-6. 10-6. and six. Not bad. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's... It's a little obnoxious, and I will use that word, to say there's a lot of mediocrity in the league and then just walk away. Right? And I'm sure he went into greater detail on Stephen A's show. I'm not going to go through and watch the whole thing. I'll be frank with you. I'm just not going to. Um, if you want to, and let me know why I'm wrong and how he explained himself, because you're a big Tom Brady fan. Comment section, social media, as always. At Nick Nodic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. But I think the positive way to look at it is parody, right? That's the optimistic way to look at the glass half full. If you want to say everyone's regressing to the mean here in the middle of the pack, that's the glass half empty. 
Would I say Tom is completely wrong? Not necessarily, because, I mean, I watch these games, too, and some of them are a little rough. But, I mean, that's sports, right? Like, some t- especially in the age, as people would tend to say, of tanking, right? No matter what sport you're in, it's just kind of the way it is, right? Some teams are going to be awful, and that's going to be their team they're going to wheel out, and they're going to tell the fans, come buy tickets, and you know they're going to be bad, and there's nothing really to be done about it. Um, although I do think Alex Smith brings up some good points. Golden age of the DN. That's, that's really interesting to me. I think someone, someone more qualified than me should pour over that one. I'll go with Barry. Still see great teams, still see a great product. Um, I mean, the AFC is, is like pretty stacked in my opinion this season. And I, I've been adamant about that from, since the off season. Uh, just wanted to get into that one because I thought it was, a little peculiar. I know we got in the weeds with some statistics, but I hope we got something to take away from that one. Number six in the standout seven, and I... This will be a short one, but it had to be brought up. Um, good old Rex Ryan. On the Patriot Way, via Get Up on ESPN. Uh, the Patriot Way, of course, being the way that Bill Belichick runs the organization. Um, similar to the way, you know, there's a, a... I guess it would... I don't know if anyone's used the term the Spurs Way... But the way the San Antonio Spurs run things in Greg Popovich was very centered around the values of the coach. The way Coach K ran things at Duke for a while before they went more one and done towards the tail end. But still very centered in the coach's values and the way they view the game, the way they view how you represent yourself, uh, forward-facing, and such. Rex Ryan, the Patriot way exhausts these kids. Tom Brady was the only reason you won anyway. Like, this is just for clicks, right? Like, maybe we should do that more on the show. But, like, that is so obnoxious. And the amount of times I've had to defend the legacy of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady as a native New Yorker is, like, ridiculous to me. Like, come on. Do you really believe that? Do you actually somehow really believe that the only reason Bill Belichick won anything was because of Tom Brady? There wasn't a partnership there. There was no give and take. I don't even think either Belichick or Brady would make that statement. But you know what? While we're here, to be that guy, right? Because he's being that guy. Um, one time as a head coach did Rex Ryan in eight years have a 10-win season. One time. It was his second season in 2010. That year, they went to the conference championship and lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers 24-19. Yeah. Okay. Their first year, they lost to the conference championship to the Colts, 30-17. Worth noting, by the way, not, not that it necessarily matters, neither of those teams went on to win the Super Bowl. Just saying. Just putting it out there. One 10-win coaching year, and it was his second year, which means six years of... Really, 8-8 eight and eight and worse. Three 8-8s eight and eights in the next six years. Fired his last year before he could get that eighth win. Bill Belichick, count him on your fingers with me. 10-win season, sorry, an 11-win season in 94 as a coach with the Cleveland Browns. 11 wins in 01, 14 in 03, 14 in 04, 10 in 05, 12 in 06, 16 in 0 and 07, of course. 11 wins in 2008 which is the year that, by the way, Tom Brady played, what, a quarter? 
right? Through 11 passes that year. Um, 10 wins in 09, 14 wins in 2010, 13 in 2011, 12 in 2012, 12 in 2013, 12 in 2014, 12 in 2015, 14 and 2 in 2016, 13 and 3 in 2017, 11 and 5 in 2018, 12 and 4 in 2019. And oh, by the way, another 10 win season in 2021. Yeah. With Mac Jones. So without Tom Brady, ever, he has more 10-win seasons than Rex. In 2021, he had it with Mac. He had one with Matt Castle where they missed the playoffs, and he had one in 94 as the coach of the Cleveland Browns with Vinny Testaverde as his starting QB, throwing more interceptions than touchdowns. I can't, like, I get it. I know that somewhere in my mind I comprehend that we live in that time period now. And maybe it's always been this way, right? With columns and newspapers and such, even before my time. But in the social media era, where it's like, yep, you know what? We're just going to say something ridiculous. And hey, it'll, you know, people will click it, or people will talk about it. They'll watch the show. They'll do this. They'll do that. But then you just have somebody like me, who like passes this headline and passing. Like, I'm not going to tune into the show for that. I think that's ridiculous. Nothing against ESPN, right? But, like, as a take, that that's ridiculous to me. To say that, that's like the same people that say that the Yankees had a bad year because they make people shave their beards. Like, it's really not that big of a deal. It's really not. Like, oh, Juju Smith-Schuster hasn't been great for the Patriots because of the Patriot way. It has nothing to do with the fact that their quarterback's getting benched, like, every four drives, right? That has nothing to do with, with his performance as a wide receiver, right? It's because he's not doing TikToks in midfield. Uh-huh. It has nothing to do with the fact that Mac Jones has a career-low completion percentage, ever slightly. He has 12 interceptions in 11 games. Nothing to do with that, right? Two and nine. Lowest QBR of his career. Lowest passer rating of his career. Lowest yards per game of his career. Nothing to do with that, right? He must have had some real ballers at receiver when he won those ten games. Yeah, Jacoby Myers, Kendrick Bourne, and Hunter Henry were their leading wideouts. Some decent talent, but really not anybody that's going to knock your socks off. Well, maybe they were leaning on the running game. Well, you know what? You might be right. They had uh, 0, 0,000 yard rushers. Damian Harris had 929. Ramondre Stevenson had 606. Decent backs, but no one that's going to knock your socks off. Rex Ryan, like, why, dude? Like, why? Like, is there, like, a bonus in the contract if you get a certain amount of views on, like, a video involving you? Because if there is, kudos, my man. You are killing it out there. But, like, what are we talking about? Like, let's be honest. What are we actually talking about? Number seven in the standoff se- standout seven, excuse me. Uh, we were going to do playoff picture. We already did that. Let's go news and notes, and let's get right in to the pick'em portion. Uh, Zach Ertz has been released by the Cardinals. He cleared waivers. Reportedly wants to land with a contender. Could be Kansas City, Baltimore, Buffalo, and his old team, the Philadelphia Eagles. He needs 11 catches in Philly to become the all-time leading receiver in Eagles history, which would be kind of a pretty cool way to get that record. Uh, Miami linebacker Jalen Phillips out for the year with a torn Achilles. We saw that on the Black Friday game. Mecole Hardman to IR with a thumb injury. Marshawn 
Lattimore, the New Orleans DB to IR, just after the Mike Michael Thomas injury, which is uh, not what you want if you're a Saints fan or if you're holding a ticket for a Saints playoff future. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, Colts running back, going to be out two to three weeks at least, the report is, with a thumb injury. Uh, Justin Jefferson returned to practice this week. Aaron Rodgers reportedly returned to practice, but he's not really rushing back, so to speak. Could be, potentially, making an appearance this year. We'll see how the next few weeks go for the New York Jets. Uh, Joe Flacco is going to start this week for the Cleveland Browns with Dorian Thomas, excuse me, Dorian Thompson, I always call him Thomas, Dorian Thompson Robinson, DTR, out with a concussion. Okay. Um... And one more thing, just wanted to give a shout-out here. From I'm watching a college football game. There was a player by the name of Jamoy Mays for the Chattanooga college football team who pulled off essentially what A.J. Brown was trying to do a couple weeks ago, where he let the defender get up and then stripped him. But Jamoy Mays, they were in the red zone. The defender caught the interception, started running, Mays stripped him, and technically returned the fumble for a touchdown while on offense. Just wanted to throw that in there because I thought that was a pretty darn impressive move. Not a huge college football guy, but you know what? That needed to be shouted out. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven and to my favorite part, your favorite part of the episode, the pick'em portion of episode 180. We're going to get started with an AFC South matchup between the Indianapolis Colts and the hosting Tennessee Titans. The Colts going to be without running back Jonathan Taylor with that aforementioned thumb injury, as well as corner Juju Brents with a quad. Titans, just one player. Questionable wide receiver Traylon Burks with a concussion. I'm going to take the Colts in this one. I like Will Levis. I do. I've seen a little bit. I mean, admittedly, I've been more impressed with the handful of plays that show flashes from Will Levis than I have from Bryce Young, but I guess you could make the argument Bryce Young has less around him, which... We'd have to debate that one, but Derrick Henry certainly better than anybody on that Panthers offense. Give me the Colts either way to win this one with Minshew at the helm on the road, keeping their playoff hopes alive and keeping themselves in the driver's seat. The Atlanta Falcons make their way to New Jersey to take on the New York Jets in our next matchup. Falcons, two players listed as questionable, wide receiver Mack Hollins with an ankle injury and corner Mike Hughes with a hand. The Jets listing QB Aaron Rodgers, obviously, is out with an Achilles. Questionable, both running backs, Dalvin Cook with a shoulder and Brees Hall with a hammy, as well as third-string running back Israel Abaniconda with an illness. Tight end Kenny Boa also questionable with a hammy, and O-lineman Wes Schweitzer with a calf. I don't know. Um, Do I think the presence of Rodgers just being around will help inspire these guys? Well, I think these teams are... Even with the Jets having a backup QB, or I guess the backup to the backup out there, uh, potentially Trevor Simeon making an appearance, I I think the Jets are somehow going to make this one interesting. I could easily see myself reading a stat line late Sunday night that Bijan Robinson had four touchdowns somehow, and the Jets threw the ball to the other team three times. But realistically, I'm going to take the Jets on the strength of their defense to Take the ball away a few times from Desmond. I mean, he threw two picks last week against the Saints, both to Tyron Matthew, if memory serves. Um, I'm going to take the Jets to win this one at home and stay in it long enough to make it interesting for Aaron Rodgers down the stretch. 
Next, we've got the Detroit Lions looking to rebound, heading to New Orleans to take on the aforementioned Saints. Lions get without backup QB Hendon Hooker with a knee injury. It's third string injury. Third string QB because he was drafted injured. Uh, anyway, doubtful linebacker Alex Anzalone with a hand injury. Questionable guard Jonah Jackson with an ankle slash wrist. Saints can be without running back Kendra Miller with an ankle. Wide receiver Rashid Shahid with a thigh. Linebacker Pete Werner with a shoulder slash oblique. And safety Marcus May with a shoulder as well. Questionable. Wide receiver Chris Olave, who's in the concussion protocol. Center Eric McCoy with a shoulder. D-end Cameron Jordan with an ankle. And kicker Blake Groupie with a groin injury. I'm going to take Detroit to bounce back in this one. I've got no read on the Saints. Evidently, I have no read on the Lions as well, um, considering how things went in that Thanksgiving game. But give me the Lions to win this one on the road. Next, we got a battle between two AFC wildcard contenders, and who thought we'd be saying that at this point in the year when we saw the schedule? Six and five Broncos head to Houston to take on the six and five Texans. Broncos listing just one questionable corner, Damari Mathis, with a back injury. Texans going to be without their starting tight end, Dalton Schultz, with a hammy. Questionable wide receiver Noah Brown with a knee. Wide receiver Tank Dell, who's been the go-to guy for C.J. Stroud, also questionable with a calf. On the defensive side, two players, Sheldon Rankins on the D-line with an elbow, and linebacker Jake Hansen, questionable with a hamstring-slash-hand injury. Do I believe more in the streaking Broncos or the Texans fresh off of a tough loss? I think the Texans' defense is the better of the two. I think the Texans will find a way to pull this one off with C.J. Stroud at the helm. He's been good in the clutch moments, man. I mean, I know they wound up with a, a long field goal last week, but I'm... I'm a believer. Give me Houston to win this one at home. Next, we got a matchup that sounds tremendous if it was a decade plus ago. The L.A. Chargers head to New England to take on the 2-9 Patriots. Chargers going to be without tight end Nick Vanette in this one, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as O-lineman Zach Bailey with a back, and Jasir Taylor with an illness, and J.T. Woods with an illness. Questionable. Wide receiver Keenan Allen with a quad injury. He was also battling a shoulder injury not too long ago. As well as O-lineman Trey Pipkins with a wrist. Patriots going to be without wide receiver Kayshawn Boutte with a shoulder. And Demario Douglas, who's in the concussion protocol. Questionable running back Zeke Elliott with a thigh injury. Three O-linemen in Trent Brown, Riley Reef, and City So. Or is it Sow? With an ankle, knee, and ankle injury respectively. As well as two players on the defensive side in Dietrich Wise on the D-line with a shoulder, and linebacker Chris Board with a back injury. I know the Chargers are underperforming. They're just barely on the outside, on the fringes of this playoff picture. If they lose to New England, Brandon Staley will not have a job by Wednesday. That's my take. I think the Chargers win this one to stay in it, keep their coach employed, but I'm just putting it out there. I'll give you a double prediction. I got the Chargers to win if somehow I'm wrong. Maybe Justin Herbert has a bad game. Maybe Bailey Zappi comes in and lights it up. Um, Brandon Staley will be out of work, just like Frank Reich. Chargers on the road. Speaking of games that sounded great a while ago, we got a Super Bowl rematch. The Arizona Cardinals head to not Heinz Field, Acrisure Stadium, to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cardinals with a laundry list on the injury report this week. Injury report, as per always, brought to you by NFL.com. 
Wide receiver Michael Wilson out with a shoulder injury. O-lineman Elijah Wilkinson out with a neck. And two corners, Antonio Hamilton with a groin and Starling Thomas with an ankle. Going to miss this one as well. Questionable, two more wide receivers in Marquise Brown with a heel and Zach Pascal in a personal matter-related uh, status. As well as tight end Trey McBride with a groin. Bad timing considering they just released Zach Ertz. You tend to think he'd be able to go. Uh, on the defensive side... Questionable, two safeties in Jalen Thompson with a rib injury and Joey Blunt with a knee, and D-lineman Kevin Strong also with a knee. Steelers listing just one. Questionable, D-lineman Montrevious Adams with an ankle. For some reason, when I looked at this game, my brain immediately went, oh, Pittsburgh, which is who I'm going to pick for this one. Pittsburgh's defense has been tremendous, and their offense could pick up in the post-Matt Canada era. However, for some reason thinking about the athleticism of Kyler Murray somehow scrambling and making some stuff happen. Realistically, I tend to think he might be auditioning for what's to come. Who knows? I feel like he could throw a wrench in the plans of the Pittsburgh Steelers with a good performance on the road this week. But evidently, I'm not confident enough to bet on it. Pittsburgh taking the win at home. Next, our final 1 o'clock kick is a Ryan Fitzpatrick Bowl. Then again, you can say that about quite a few games. The Miami Dolphins head to FedEx Field to take on the Washington Commanders. Dolphins, handful of players listed as questionable. Running back Chris Brooks with a knee injury. Most of these players on the O-line. Teron Armstead with a knee. Lester Cotton with an illness. Robert Jones with a knee. And Kendall Lamb with a back injury. Also questionable, safety Javon Holland with knees. Both of them. Wow. Uh, Commanders going to be without two on the defensive side. D-lineman James Smith-Williams with a hammy and corner Emmanuel Forbes Jr. with an elbow injury. Questionable offensive lineman Tyler Larson with a knee. Got to take the Dolphins to win this one on the road. I'm a Commanders believer, and sitting at 4-8, and eight, they're kind of in, kind of not. I know the Vikings are in a weird spot. Seattle's in a weird spot. Could the Commanders put together some wins and make this spicy? They could, but considering they're already sitting at eight losses... I don't know about that one. Guys might start thinking about their vacation plans come early 2024. Give me the Dolphins to win this on the road. Next, we've got a light 4 p.m. slate, and it's going to be one kick. It's an NFC South battle between the lowly Carolina Panthers and the slightly better Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Panthers going to be without, obviously, their head coach, Frank Reich, as well as tight end Hayden Hurst is in the concussion protocol and safety Von Bell with a shoulder. Doubtful, their other tight end, Tommy Tremble, with a hip injury. Questionable, four on the defensive side, two linebackers in Yatir Gross Matos with a hammy and Marquise Haynes with a back, as well as J.C. Horn with a hammy and safety Jeremy Chin with a quad. Bucks going to be without four on the defensive side. D-lineman Mike Green with a calf, two linebackers in Devin White with a knee and Levante David with a groin, as well as D.B. Jamel Dean with an ankle slash foot. Doubtful, Servosha Dennis with an illness. Questionable, wide receiver Chris Godwin with a neck injury. I'm going to take Carolina. I mean, you talk about the the push or the little momentum boost. I mentioned it in the Pittsburgh game that, oh, well, they're in the post-Matt Canada era now. The frustration kind of f- fades away, even though we saw Deontay Johnson straight up no-sell a fumble last week, but whatever. Um, you talk about something like that that could apply in this Carolina game. There is talent there. Right, Miles Sanders is is a good running back. He was good for for Philly. Chuba Hubbard's a pretty good running back. Um, it would help if Hayden Hurst was out there. 
their receiving core, I mean, it's Adam Thielen and everyone else. Somebody's got to want to play the position for them next year, right? Um, I just don't think it'll be enough. I, I think they're pretty darn bad right now. Unless Baker feels like throwing this one to the other side. I've got Baker and the Bucks bringing this one home. Next, we've got the game of the week because the Monday night game of the week has a little bit of a wrench in it. The San Francisco 49ers at 425 p.m. will head to the link to take on the 10-1 Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the gap in their record is such that 9-3 versus 10-2, they'd still be trailing even if they won on the road, but make it closer, get a little bit of revenge perhaps for that disastrous championship game from last year. Let's take a look at the injury report. Niners listing a handful as questionable. Running back Jordan Mason with a hammy. Wide receiver Ray Ray McLeod with a rib. And D-lineman Eric Armstead with a foot. Eagles are going to be without linebacker Zach Cunningham with a hammy. As well as safety Justin Evans with a knee. Doubtful tight end Dallas Goddard with a forearm injury. Questionable tight end Grant Calcaterra with an ankle. And D-lineman Fletcher Cox with a groin. If you asked me prior to the Eagles-Bills game, I would have said, and I might have said last week, um, I had the Bills winning, so I would have thought, well, 8-3, and 9-2. and two. If San Francisco wins this, it could be a really spicy end of the year. Who knows? They're on the road, yada, yada, yada. I do think all of those things. I think San Francisco is a tremendous team. I really do. However, they're going back into the House of Horrors from the championship game. Now, you'd hope that the injuries don't ravage them like they did then, wouldn't predict anything like that for you. However, Philly's got to be kind of riding high, right? You beat Kansas City in a one where, look, you got away with one, but it happens. You beat Buffalo. Look, you got away with one, but it happens. Eventually, your luck does run out, but not all the time. We've seen plenty of teams make some runs where they get some lucky bounce after lucky bounce after lucky play. And look, it's not like they're getting blown out until some lucky bounces. They're right in it in those games. Give me Philly to win this one at home and kind of put the stamp of dominance, it's a new phrase I've never said before, on the NFC. This would push them to 11-1, potentially push San Francisco out of the two seed. Give me Philly to win at home. Our only other 425 kick is a little bit of a weird one. A battle between two Super Bowl-winning QBs. Uh, as the Cleveland Browns, led by now Joe Flacco, head to L.A. to take on Matthew Stafford and the Rams. Uh, the Browns can be without DTR, as we said, who's in the concussion protocol, as well as Marquise Goodwin, a wide receiver, who's also in the concussion protocol, and corner Denzel Ward, who has a shoulder injury. Questionable offensive lineman Nick Harris with a knee. The Rams going to be without safety Quinton Lake with a hammy, and questionable linebacker Michael Hawked with a knee injury as well. Hocked or hoked? Get back to me on that one, Mike. This is a weird one. The Browns' defense is legit. They really are. Um, we saw Miles Garrett with a shoulder injury not too long ago. It's a little weird to me that he's listed on the NFL.com injury report. Not at all. Um, Cleveland.com, Miles Garrett makes stunning turnaround from his shoulder injury, returning to practice Friday. Meanwhile, the Browns wire had Miles Garrett still out. Will he play? I don't know. Um, will Amari Cooper play? I believe he will go. Do I believe in Joe Flacco here? 
Because with Kyron Williams back, last week the Rams looked pretty good, right? I mean, this Rams team put up 37. Again, granted, it's the Cardinals. Matt Stafford, four touchdowns. Kyron Williams and Royce Freeman combined for 200 yards on the ground. I mean, you know what? I'm going to take the bait here. I'm going to say that Joe Flacco on, like, what, a handful of days and whatever old copy of the playbook he found is not going to be enough, and Stafford's going to not throw the ball to the other team enough to swing this one, which honestly could happen, maybe a strip sack here and there. But I'm going to take the Rams against my own better instincts to win this one at home and put themselves potentially back in a playoff race, which uh, if you're the NFC teams, you probably don't want because they've gotten it done before. That'll bring us to Sunday Night Football, a Super Bowl rematch of all Super Bowl rematches. The very first Super Bowl. We've got Kansas City heading to Lambeau for Sunday Night Football to take on Jordan Love and the Packers. Chiefs going to be without linebacker Nick Bolton with a wrist injury. Questionable running back Jarek McKinnon with a groin. Packers, huge one. They're going to be without their starting back Aaron Jones with a knee. Doubtful corner Eric Stokes with a hammy. Questionable. I hope you've got a notepad because there's a lot of them. Wide receiver Jaden Reed with a chest injury. Fellow wide receiver Dontavian Wicks with a knee. Tight end Josiah DeGuara with a hip. Linebacker Devondre Campbell with a neck. And here's the concerning one if you're a Packer fan. Corner Jair Alexander with a shoulder. Fellow DBs Robert Rochelle with a calf. Rudy Ford with a bicep slash groin. And Darnell Savage with a calf as well. Injuries in the secondary plus facing Patrick Mahomes usually does not equal dominant win at home and or success for that reason i'm going to take kansas city however i mean there's been other games this year where green bay has kind of stepped up and made it happen in games where i didn't think they'd be able to who knows maybe this is a weird one and they find a way to pull it out i'm gonna take kansas city but look kansas city spotted vegas 14 the other week if they spot green bay 14 Who knows if they'll be able to clutch their way back into this one. I don't have it happening, but you never know. Monday Night Football, this is the other game I was alluding to here, being a tremendous matchup. It is Cincinnati heading to Jacksonville to take on the Jaguars, and it was supposed to be Joe Burrow against Trevor Lawrence. Two really good AFC teams, two teams that could be, you know, powerhouses for the next handful of years here. We're going to get Jake Browning against the Jaguars D. I'm going to take the Jaguars to win this one at home. Open up that lead a little bit in the AFC South. Next, speaking of matchups that sounded good a while ago, man, this is a great schedule from a handful of years ago. We've got the New England Patriots on Thursday night football heading to Pittsburgh to take on the Pittsburgh Steelers. If the Pittsburgh offense has been that bad against teams like the New York Giants, I can only imagine how they're going to do against the Steelers. Maybe Belichick can scheme their way back into this one via forcing some turnovers, but they're going to need plenty. Pittsburgh should win this one at home. That'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode, episode number 180, and the end of this week's episode, period, of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Thank you for tuning in, whether it was your first episode or your 180th. Thanks for coming around, and stick around next weekend. We'll break down all these games, and we'll jump in to the week 14 shenanigans as we get there. Maybe there'll be some more comments from Rex Ryan that we could break down or some more arguments from some retired players. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. 
I was going to give you a hypothetical, but we don't even need to go there. We didn't even get into the drama with somebody like Carl Banks in the New York area. I didn't know if anybody else would be interested in that other than the New York stuff. If you're interested, feel free to Google that one. And make sure you come back next week for more action here. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.